Yeah, so it's, it's good to be here with you. Um, what we're getting into this week is, is meant to not just go over the same verses as last week, but it's really meant to connect with these next few verses to really amplify what we were talking about last week, that for us to hold fast our confession, to hold fast to the gospel, and for us, all of us, to draw near to the throne of grace in time of need to receive grace and mercy and help. So, uh, this week we're going to get into a little bit more understanding of the priesthood. Uh, what's the big deal about that? Why is that important? And then really how Jesus' life and his death and resurrection and ascension, all that connects with it in, in a very specific, really sweet way. So, uh, I really didn't look much at the set list before we got into this morning, and man, it's just really timely. Um, we just sang Fix My Eyes. Great song. The, the writer of that song recently took the social media this week that he, uh, after having COVID and some other issues, he's having some heart issues. Um, and so the first thing that we sing is, my heart is weary. Um, he's physically in a place where his heart is weary. It's wearing out. And for us this morning, and, and Glenn was getting to this, I want us to be honest with ourselves, with where we are, how we're feeling. Are our hearts weary? For whatever reason, are, are our hearts weary physically, spiritually? And so... In that honesty, I want us to approach this text. So let's pray, and then we can jump in. Jesus, you died for us. You are the only life that we need. From our weary hearts, Lord, we, we cry out. Abba, Father, pour out your grace, pour out your love and wisdom and compassion onto us this morning as we draw near to the throne of grace. We want help. So would you speak words of life that would awaken us individually as a church and would bring us into further, higher glory than we ever would have thought. It's in your name that we pray. And we also ask, God, yeah, that you would heal Chad Gardner's heart. Um, whatever's going on, in Jesus' name, bring healing. Yeah, in your name, amen. Okay, so. All right, so we're going to touch a little bit on the earthly priests. We touched on it a little bit last week, and we're going to continue kind of doing that for the next handful of weeks because that's the theme that's going to keep rolling out. So the earthly priests, as the author gets into here, they are and serve as mediators between Israel, the people of Israel, and Yahweh in the Old Testament. They led the sacrificial system, the procedures, the protocols, all of that. They made the sacrifices on behalf of the people and really themselves. And so you had this group 
of high priests or of priests that would do these things. And then leading this group, you would have the high priest, one high priest. Now, we talk a lot about Greek and Hebrew. Let's do a little bit of Latin today. Um, now if, if you do homeschool and get into Latin, you might actually know this. So high priest in Latin is Pontifex Maximus. What does that mean? Maximus means great. Now, Pontifex is actually a combination of two words. It, pons means bridge, and fascio means to make or build. So the high priest in his role is essentially seen and known as the great bridge builder. That was his role. So he, especially him, is seen as the one to go between us and the Lord to keep the connection, to, to build a bridge between where we are, where God is, to maintain some sort of relationship. Now, why do we need a bridge? That bridge is necessary because of the current condition in which we find ourselves, which is no different today than it was thousands of years ago in the Old Testament, that we as a people, not just Iowans, not just Americans or majority white people, every single human being in the history of the world has been born into a brokenness and fallen nature. It is a part of everything that we do. It is not something that we just chose to do one day. It is how we are born. That we are, by nature, spiritually blind, disconnected from the Lord, disconnected from any kind of relationship with Him. It's not something that we could recreate, although we have definitely tried that. It's not something that we could repair because in our blindness and brokenness, we're actually also opposed to God. We find ourselves in a really tricky situation. And so here we are, or here they are in the Old Testament. We have this priest, this, this order of priests who go between us and the Lord. And it's, and it's speaking something loudly to us. It's speaking something like this, that we as a people, and I think if we're aware of just our lives right now, if we're honest that our hearts are weary, if we're honest of the situations that we're in, the things we find ourselves in, we need something to restore our relationship with the Lord. As many attempts as we have, have, have given in, have, have, how many times have we gone to the drawing board Trying new things. How can we make the situation better? Make all these things better? We always fall short. It always falls apart. It's never lasting. And so the priests, the order of the priests, they, they have their weaknesses. So if you look at the beginning of chapter 5, you find a few different issues that they are aware of and that they encounter and that we see in ourselves as well. Issue 1. These priests were not perfect. They were sinners. They were broken. They could sympathize with people, but only because they were in the same boat. Right? Only because they were doing the same things as everybody else. Like, a quick, brief read in the Old Testament, and you will find out the priests weren't that great. A lot of brokenness. Now, yeah, they had general sympathy, right? Right? I've messed up, you've messed up, 
you know, they couldn't have been able to sympathize with the thousands of people in a whole nation. It's a general kind of sympathy. And they weren't functioning really from a place of moral superiority, as I just said, as I just talked about. They were tempted. They gave given a sin just like you and me. And they had to deal with their own sacrifices. Right? They weren't from a place of, I am just this, this model of perfection. I will do sacrifices on your behalf. No, they are also slaughtering animals and offering burnt offerings on, for their own stuff as well, their own dirt. Issue number two, the animal sacrifices never fully and finally removed the guilt. Fully and finally, not completely and not for all time. Hebrews 10, 1 through 4 says this, it gets at this, that it is impossible, impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. They needed something more. Now, the repetition of sacrifices demonstrates something. You would think, after committing some heinous act and seeing an animal slaughtered on your behalf, that you wouldn't do it ever again. But the repetition of sacrifices, moment after moment, year after year, generation after generation, demonstrates to us the the ongoing grip of sin. The law continues to remind us, to remind Israel of sin individually and globally. It's something that they and us can't escape. Issue number three, the priests didn't live forever. They would eventually die like you and me. They would have to be replaced. There would have to be another high priest and another high priest and another Now, talking about the priesthood, it it can be kind of difficult in our context because we really don't have that. We don't have a culture where uh, uh, maybe a former religion that you came from had a priesthood, maybe like if we were in India or or somewhere else around the world. So it's kind of hard. But, But I think if we ask the question, do we have priests, if we really peel into it a little bit, I think we will see that, yes, we do. We do have our own priests. We do make our own priests. And I think for a lot of us, those priests can be the people that disciple us. Now, they may not walk up to you and say, I want to disciple you. I want to be your priest. But what can happen is they disciple us, and internally we make them our priest. What do I mean? So if you grew up in the church doing youth group stuff or Kids in Rise now, your youth leaders, volunteers, or if you, grew, if you got saved in college and were a part of college ministry, you'd have college pastors and college uh, leaders, peers, etc. or even today with group leaders, fighter group leaders, what we can do is, especially if we're in a place of just brokenness and weakness and maybe just initially starting to walk with Jesus, that we will just naturally see them as varsity, Varsity believers, the accolades, the gifts, the really, really holy ones, right? They, they seem to just have it together. And, and for us, maybe in, in just a really messed up way of viewing it, that we see them as the closest ones to God. I don't think I'm alone in that. 
experience. That they seem so far ahead in their walk with Jesus, for you it seems unattainable. Unattainable for you to ever be like them, ever be close to that. And then our response to that is to just put them in between us and the Lord. They become our priests. And now all the saying, the varsity Christians, like, that's not real. We're all equal. Okay? We all have different gifts. But at a fault, what we can do, and, and this has wrecked a lot of people's lives, our faith can then be contingent upon their prayers in the way that they serve, okay? Not on the Spirit's work in you. If we make other people our priests, it will be so destructive. So destructive. Where is that in Scripture, by the way? You know, to, to put, you know, the people who disciple us in between us and the Lord, like, that's just not there. It's us and Jesus, Always. Oh, we can also do this to our spouses and our friends, right? In a similar way, like just more on fire for Jesus. They've experienced freedom over addictions, which is, which is great. They have a better prayer life. They, they serve more. They read more. They just know a lot more. Or maybe their lives are just a little bit more put together. Like they just have so much genuine joy, it almost frustrates you. Like, how can you live like that? Because that's not where you are. The kids maybe aren't as crazy. Finances are good. But what I want to get at is that we're all in the same boat here. We're all in the same boat. All of us has sin and weaknesses. And so we can sympathize together and go to the right source. But let's, let's hone in first. Before we get to some redemption here. I want us to recap and get to a place of understanding our weaknesses here, our real weaknesses. And so like the priests, we are limited, right? We can only say so many words a day, right? Like, depends on how long this sermon goes. Emily's not going to hear much from me the rest of today. Sometimes that's good, sometimes it's not good. But we can only say so many words. And really, we only have so much capacity in general, to, to spend time with people, to, to love, to serve, to pour out to, for energy, all those things, we only have so much capacity before we just get tired, before we get grumpy, frustrated, lash out. We only have so much physical, mental, social stamina. And what we can do in that is we can rely solely on our strength and our abilities Instead of the spirit, so that we do everything out of the flesh, out of the flesh, which then at that point, what's really helping? It's just flesh ministry, flesh life. It just produces brokenness. It just produces frustration. It produces nothing great. And like the priests, we also aren't that effective, if we're honest. We may be able, and we might have the gift of. of of wisdom and wise counsel. We may be able to bring that to people, pray for people, serve them, but we can't force people to be helped. We can't force people to be healed. 
as much as we would want to, right? Like, I wish I could take it all away just like that. It would make life a lot easier. We can't force people to be helped or healed, and we definitely can't remove sin. I can't remove your sin. Now, the priests, the sacrifices, and our attempts, like in Hebrews, it's all shadows. It's all shadows of the, the real thing, the substance, the reality. And that reality is that Jesus is the great high priest. He is the fulfillment of which the priests and our attempts point to, the true and better. Nothing compares. Nothing can be better. How can he be a high priest, though? Like, what, what are the requirements? So let's just kind of go through this part in chapter 5 here. So appointed by God, verse 1 and 10. Okay, order of Melchizedek. I don't have time for that today. You've got to wait till chapter 7. So I know I did that last week, like putting stuff off. Like, it needs some time. It's really good, but it needs time. Um, I don't know if I'm going to do it or not, or Glenn. Well, we'll figure it out, but it's so good. So an anticipation build, right? <laughs> hold on, hold on, edge of your seats. Let's go. Um, so he has to be appointed by God. He has to be chosen from among men. And so we see in the Gospels, what happened? The Son took on flesh. The Word became flesh and lived among us as a man. He sympathizes. Look at verse 2. Talking about the priests, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. But then Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize specifically with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He stands out. Jesus specifically understands our pain, our trauma, our brokenness, the things we have done to people, and he still cares for us. You need to know this today. He still loves you, and he does not regret his choice, okay? Verse 7, he sympathizes. Now, this is not just talking about the garden although he did have tears and blood in the garden, the days of his life, the days of his flesh, he wept, he bled, he prayed with loud cries on our behalf. He suffered like we do and more. Now, there's a couple little phrases in here. I think maybe as the reader was going through that, we're like, huh, what? How does that make sense? Or if you read this ahead this week. Okay, verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Learned obedience. Okay. Uh, a pastor, a theologian, Sam Storms, unpacks this really helpfully. Now, when he's talking about learned, he didn't, it's not written to mean he learned to obey as if he was at some point disobedient before, right? No, Jesus is sinless, always obedient, but Jesus in his 
life and ministry, he entered a personal and experiential understanding of obedience by obeying the Father through temptation and suffering. Now, he was already obedient, right? Like, he kind of created the, the, the term, the ability, right? It, it was his personal and experience of through suffering, through temptation. That is what it means by him having learned obedience. And then verse 9, being made perfect, like that can kind of sound weird. Again, made perfect, it's not talked about as if before that he was imperfect, right? He was impure, like no. He is the definition and embodiment of purity. He is holy. He's always been perfect. You know, you can go to Hebrews 10 verse or sorry, Hebrews 2 verse 10 that he was made perfect through suffering. So we see it some other places as well. It it's it's like this. So it was his obedience. So these are kind of hand in hand. It's his obedience through serving, his obedience through temptation and suffering. It revealed that he was perfect. Right? It revealed that he was holy. He was fully equipped and qualified to be the savior. If he had given in the temptation, he wouldn't have been the Savior. So it's a, it's a revelation to the world, to the watching world, and to the spiritual darkness. Here he is, being made perfect. He knew he was pure. He just put it on display. Classic God. Um, so what did he accomplish as the high priest? <sighs> Yeah, so, suffered and died as a sacrifice for all, the source of eternal salvation. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, the joy that was set before him, through that he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When we pull up Hebrews 10, 11 through 14, this gets at it really, really well. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had ordered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Once and for all. He's not just suffered and died for us, but he has brought us near to the Father. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Suffering once to bring us close. It is him Jesus, as he functions and dies for us as the great high priest, we understand him as the great bridge builder. Because what he is doing is bridging an, an impossible chasm that none of us, no other worldview, nothing like that, could ever create and maintain. And not just create a bridge, but to bring us into his presence to fully remove the guilt of our sin, past, present, and future. That is what he does, friends. 
as the great high priest. He suffers and dies and rises again for you and me to be the source of eternal salvation, forever free from judgment, forever, forever secured in his love, forever kept in a relationship to be satisfied, to experience joy like nothing else. So then the question is, how do we live in light of this? How do we go on? How do we, how do we respond to it? So, because there's a lot of competing views. There's a lot of competing saviors. A lot of competing priests. And so for us to make any kind of headway going forward, we need to not just sit here on a Sunday morning, just sit in our group, in our fighter groups. We need to live in truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we need to live in that. And so for us who are within hearing range this morning, the call goes out to all, to you in this room, and to be beyond the doors, beyond the mall, to the, the four corners of the world. The call to believe. And so it doesn't matter if you've been here since Redeemer's inception. It doesn't matter if you've grown up in the church. It doesn't matter. That in itself will not save you. Your religious tally marks and boxes that have been checked will not save you. The call for you this morning, the loving and gentle call for the, from the great high priest nailed to a cross is called to you, come. Surrender everything. I will give you everything. He will speak into your pain. He will speak into your strife. And he alone will set you free from it. As much as you are white-knuckling it, even right now, he alone has the power to not only loosen your grip, but to embrace you to still your fears, to bring you into a place of reconciliation, of healing, of forgiveness, and a hope for what is to come. Only Jesus. And for you this morning, if that's not where you're at, if you hear anything this morning, let it be come to the cross. Cling to that which alone will save you. And for those of you who've been walking with him for some time, it's the same call. Come to the cross. Cling. 
That alone will save you. He alone will save you. And from that, you can be, we can be a people of invincible joy. That's what it means. Not to have everything figured out, but to be in a place of vulnerability, embracing of Jesus, to continue to believe, to continue to cling to and dwell in his word, let it form you, to dwell with him in prayer, that you wouldn't just give him your your morning hour, but you would give him your day. And from that, you would see the Spirit change you completely. And the issues you very well know of right now that are just flashing through your mind, those areas, He wants to change. He wants to make you whole, to give you more love, more mercy, and depth in your community, authenticity in your boldness, in your joy. Because it's His joy that is our strength. I don't know how many of us have really read the book of Nehemiah. It's kind of, you know, tucked away in the Old Testament. We usually kind of skip over it. And it's, it's a really sweet series there. That it's after Israel was, was exiled into Babylon and was there for a generation. Eventually were sent back and able to kind of rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and start over again. There's a lot with that. But what happened was they you had this new group of Israelites who kind of don't know much of, like, the history. They've kind of lost it a little bit. And so what they do at one point is they, they bring out the law. And sitting, standing, gathered in one location, having the hundreds of laws read that this is, this is who our God is, holy and pure. And this is how we are to live in accordance with that. And the people who heard it were grieved because they were, I think, in touch with who they were and their abilities that, how can we do this? He's holy and perfect, but how can we do this? How can we live like this? And Nehemiah says, in response to that, do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Do not be grieved, church. Jesus has fulfilled the law and gives you life. And it's the joy of Jesus that is your strength. Right? The joy that was set before him to endure the cross, that is your strength. His joy is an infinite well. And the call to come to the cross and believe is the call to come to that well and drink deeply. Christian. That, that is accessible for us now to come 
drink deeply. If your heart is weary this morning, come to the well. Drink deeply. We live in truth. We also worship. Right? How could we just hear and believe some stuff without having an outward response? I love Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. It's a celebration. A redeemed people, a people being conformed to his image, coming into his presence, gathering together, and singing his praises about who he is and what he has done and where we will one day be. That's worship. Now, it's through tears. It's through pain. It's through victory. It's through loss. It's through all of those things. But it is a call for us to join together as a people of God all across the earth to cling to him together. David knew what he was talking about. I think he has enough experience to inform us a little bit. Now, there's a lot of examples here with David. I mean, he's, he's got that life. But 1 Samuel 6 is one of my favorites. If you're familiar with it, it's, it's that, that passage where they're bringing the ark eventually into Jerusalem, and there's that, that passage or that part where Uzzah, uh, the ark is about to fall off, and Uzzah touches it, and then he dies. Like, that's not the part I'm talking about. The part is right after, because David's confused, and uh, so they don't take the ark into Jerusalem. It's staying at this guy's house. Well, in the guy's house and his family gets blessed. We're like, oh, okay, so I guess we're good, so let's bring it to Jerusalem. <laughs> There's a lot more that speaks into it, but David is rejoicing to the max. And what he does next is outlandish, to say the least. What happens is, as they begin to move the ark, now I was trying to figure out how far they had to go. All right, with this picture, it doesn't matter if you're leaving the mall or driving to your house, or if I'm going back to Cedar Falls, it's a lot. Every six feet, he made a sacrifice. Every six feet. You kill one cow, walk to the end of the cow, killing another cow. Walk to the end of the cow, another cow, right? Can you imagine the blood all over David? And he's rejoicing in the Lord like, you would think he's a psycho. But he is rejoicing. Now, the application. Don't do what he did, right? Weird police call. You got this church that's sacrificing animals in Lindale. It's really weird. You got <laughs> to get this checked out. Not to do that. We'd get arrested pretty fast. But for us, application for us, our sacrifice has already been made. Our sacrifice has already been made. Because hundreds of years later from the story of David, on a similar road, maybe even the same road going into Jerusalem, there was a sacrifice going out. And that sacrifice was covered 
in leaving behind a trail of blood. And it would be his blood that would completely and for all time wash away every sin. And it would be his death that would bring eternal life to all who would call upon his name. So the real application, live in light of the Savior's love for you. That our great high priest would go so far as to go and die on a cross for you and me. To die to set us free. To rise to give us newness of life, a new identity and purpose. He did all of those things for you. Specifically you. So wherever you are this morning, to know he did those things for you. He did it for the glory of the Father. Don't get me wrong. But don't forget he also did it for you. So, real life application, right? Let that sacrifice guide your parenting. Let that guide how you speak to your kids. Let that guide how you minister to your spouse, your future spouse. Let that inform your work ethic. Let that inform your community and your time in the Word. It's all blood-bought. All blood-bought. And He is committed to you, church. So again, from last week, let us together, encourage us, to do this together, to hold fast our confession of the gospel, that it alone can save us, and let us draw near to the throne of grace in confidence. So let's move into a time of response. I want to invite the teams up for this. So we're going to move into a time of giving you space to pray. Just get with the Lord. If your hearts are still weary, get with the Lord. Seek his face today. Seek him in your pain. Seek him in your hurt, in your strife, in your anger. Seek him. Be honest. And let him speak to you and change you and guide you this morning. If this is your church, this will also be the opportunity to give. We'll have that number up on the screen for that. If this is your church, yeah, let's just give to the mission. Support what God is doing here. Cedar Rapids is in need. Great need. So let's be committed together to reach this city. I don't even live here. I want you guys to be committed to reaching this city. I want to be committed to reaching whatever city I'm in. But we're also going to have communion and so for us to remember the great high priest dying for us. His body broken, his blood shed. And it's through that that we remember all of it. We remember the sacrifice and partake. Thank you, Jesus, that you set me free. You've cleansed me. You've removed all guilt and shame. And we're going to worship with loud singing. So let me pray and we can start.
Lord, I, I ask that you would give us all just the picture of, of Revelation 5 as we move on and go forward. That the main focus of worship in heaven is the lamb who was slain. You bear the marks of the cross forever. It is the foundation for our worship. It's our foundation for being in your presence. Jesus, what else could we say but thank you? We love you. We cry out for you to do a supernatural, over-the-top work in this body, in this church. Sanctify her. Renew her. Renew all of us individually. Lord, I pray that if anyone's heart has been softened this morning, that they would be brought to the place to believe even for the first time. Would you soften them? Would you call them? Would they surrender it all to you, Jesus? And would we likewise surrender everything to you? Because you're worthy. You deserve it all. So guide us this morning. Guide our worship. Lead us deeper into glory and joy and satisfaction in you. In your name, amen.